0: Turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, we're actually going to be in chapter 6 and in chapter 7 a little bit this morning. Uh, We're just continuing to press in on this idea of transforming prayer and uh, hopefully kind of learning and growing in what it looks like uh, to have a a, a robust prayer life with the Lord and how that keeps us in line with Him and connected to Him and um, and today I want to press in a little bit more on what I just entitled life-giving prayer. Um, sometimes prayer can get a bad rap, I think, uh, and, and we're going to talk about why that is and what we can do to maybe to get that to a better place in our own hearts and um, be more impactful in our lives. So, um, <clears throat> some, of my, some of my earliest memories as a child were around the, the family dinner table. Like Our family was pretty big about having dinner together around the table on a regular basis, and, and I learned so many things sitting around that table. But I, I remembered um, one of my earliest memories around the family dinner table was my, when my dad he, he used to pretend to smack his head on the table. And so he would do like one of these. He'd be like, and hit the table with the bottom of his hand and be like, oh, my head. Oh, you know. And I just thought it was hilarious, right? Like as a four-year-old boy or whatever, I would crack up and he would do it again and he would do it again. And so this went on for a while um, until one day um, I thought, well, you know, I, I could do that. Like I, I could get some laughs, at the dinner table, like, he, he's not the only one who can get laughs. Like, I can get laughs. And so I proceeded to smack my head on the dinner table, not knowing the trick. And things went into chaos. And let's just say mom put a stop to that real quick, all right? There was no more of that at the dinner table from that point forward. Um, but, you know, we, I learned, I just remember so many memories at the dinner table and learning things. And, but one of the most important things I learned at our family dinner table was that's where I first learned to pray just that simple prayer of, Lord, thank you for this food, amen. Like, it it was simple, it was small, it was easy, but it started that journey of learning how to pray. And after that, my parents taught me other ways to pray, and they taught me other things to pray for, and all that, and started to grow. But it just got me thinking this week, like, you know, in a room this size, we have lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds and faith experiences and home lives and all kinds of stuff. So, think about it for a moment, where... Or how did you first learn to pray? What did that look like for you? Maybe it was a parent, like with me. Maybe it was a school you went to. Maybe it was at church at some point. Maybe it was, you know, just by hearing others and just kind of like picking it up as you went along. But how did you first learn to pray? And how did you continue to learn about prayer? Because you see, none of us are born instinctively knowing how to pray. Like, you, like, we don't, we don't, we're not born with that skill. It's something that you have to learn. Just like you learn to ride a bike, just like you learn to throw a football, just like you learn to brush your teeth, you have to learn how to pray. And I think for many of us, we've learned through various avenues throughout the years, but we've neglected the idea that in the Bible, did you know Jesus actually taught us how to pray? Like there's a whole section in the Bible where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, and I think oftentimes when we pray, we neglect the finer points of that teaching. We just kind of pray however we've heard other people pray, or however we, we feel like it, or whatever seems right in the moment, but maybe we've never actually turned to Jesus and asked him to teach us how to pray, and so I want to dig into that scripture today and see if maybe we can learn some things to grow our prayer life the way that Jesus wants us to to pray, and to re-examine some things I think will be life-giving to us in prayer. And so here's kind of the main thought as we press in this morning. Life-giving prayer focuses more on the life-giver in prayer. Truly life-giving prayer, where you feel like, man, this is really like taking me somewhere spiritually with the Lord, the key to that is it focuses more on the life-giver in prayer. We're going to see that in a couple passages this morning. Um, And so, two main points today, just two points. The first one is this, pray for God's glory, not just my list. The first step, the primary step, the most important step for life-giving prayer is to pray for God's glory, not just my list. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn, look at Matthew chapter 6, we're going to pick up in verse 25. It says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, this, this section here of Jesus' teaching, it comes in a bigger section that we call the Sermon on the Mount, and it covers several chapters here in the book of Matthew where he's given this really intensive teaching, on all these different topics to his disciples, but throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he actually hits prayer multiple times, and this passage right here is actually one of kind of the, the climax, it's kind of the, the, the big conclusion to his teachings on prayer here in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he says. He says, don't worry about your food or your drink or your clothing. Don't, don't worry about the, the necessities of life because God's got you. Right? He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers. And you mean way more to him than those things do. Right? You're way higher on the list than all of that. And if he takes care of them, he'll take care of you too. He'll provide what you need. So don't worry about that. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus saying that this should be our first and primary focus when it comes to prayer. Seeking first the kingdom of God. It should be about his presence in our lives. About his purposes in our lives. About following him, not just about our own needs. What Jesus is really addressing here, he's addressing the heart behind our prayers not just what we're saying but why are we saying it what are we feeling what are we thinking what is our real motivation to pray he says seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you in other words pray for God's glory first and he'll take care of the rest and he elaborates the, on this further in the next chapter. So go ahead and look at Matthew 7 now. And in verse 7, he continues talking about prayer. He says this. He says, Ask, I'm sorry, in verse, did I say verse 7? Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and, the one who knocks, it will, to, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, your perfect father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, right here, Jesus tells us, he says, ask, seek, knock, right? He he almost commands us to pray and to ask him for things. So it's not wrong to ask. But look what he says later. He says, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? He even promises. Like, hey, if you ask me, I'll give you good things. But the question is, what are the good things? What are the good things that Jesus promises to give when we pray and we ask him? Chris actually hit this a couple of weeks ago in his sermon in a parallel passage over in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. It says this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, it just sounds familiar, right? It's exactly the same verse. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? They're synonymous. The good things that He promises to give us is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the best thing that we can ever receive from God. He is the source of our spiritual provision, of our spiritual power. He is the source of everything that we need in order to glorify God with our lives and in our prayers. He's the answer to it all. Another passage in John 14, 13 Jesus says this, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So again, he's saying, hey, whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my will, you can ask me, ask. And he says, whatever you ask, I will do it, that, could also be translated as, so that the Father may be glorified. Why does Jesus want to answer our prayers? so that God may be glorified in the answers. It's still about him. It's still about his glory. That's the purpose of our entire lives. We've talked about this several times here, Harvest. We've talked about it often, I'll even say. That the reason we're created, the reason God made humanity, was to bring glory to him. It's the purpose of everything that we do. And if it's the purpose of our lives, guess what? It's also the purpose of our prayers. primary reason I should pray is for God's glory to manifest itself in my life and in the world. Not just for my stuff, for my ones, for my needs, for my desires. You know, growing up in church, I, I think, I feel like, I, I feel like prayer meetings always kind of got a really bad rap. I don't know what it was like if you grew up in church, how it was for you, but like our church, I grew up in, we, we were several, a couple, you know, several hundred people in the church, and every Wednesday night, we would have prayer meeting, and like 10 or 12 people would show up, out of hundreds. And we would get into the room, and, and, and I was there because I was pastor's kid, so I had to be there, right? Like, I didn't want to be there either. I didn't want to be there anymore than anybody else, but I was there. And so we're in the room, and for 45 minutes, we hear all of the prayer requests, it's just, it's just like a laundry list of all of the pains and the heartaches and the struggles and the issues and the stuff. And we would talk about all the problems for 45 minutes and then we would pray for 10 minutes. After we were all thoroughly depressed and about to fall asleep, we would pray for 10 minutes and then we'd go home. Now, it was not wrong to come and pray for those requests. Those were real needs. The problem was we started at the wrong spot. We started with us and our needs instead of starting with God's glory in front of our faces. To get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the one who can actually do something about it. And instead of being life-giving in prayer, it was life-sucking in prayer because all we did was focus on us. Requests aren't wrong, they're not bad, But they can be problematic when they're misplaced. When they become primary. When they become what we seek first. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the glory of God in our prayers. And all these other things, all these other requests, all your other needs, all the other stuff, it will be added to you. our prayer requests should be in response to God's glory and in line with his purposes and his will. And so I want to propose as as an, an action step, an application here for you, not to stop praying, not to stop asking. Jesus says ask, but to ask differently. Our prayer requests should look different. And so I want to submit to you a form of praying for requests that goes like this. Pray, request whatever it is, whatever the need is, whatever the problem is, request so that, and then fill in some purpose of God that is fulfilled through that request. God, please heal my daughter's illness so that she might know the power of your name in her life. That's a purpose of God. God, please, please reach this lost loved one of mine so that they might know the glory of your name and that their, their name might be written in your book. There's a purpose of God behind prayer requests that he wants to answer. We just need to find what they are and pray them so that we're pointed to his glory. These purposes come in three categories. There might be more, but these are the three I came up with. Number one, so that your name and glory will be displayed. So that your name, your glory, so that you will get the credit, so that you will be seen as the God that you are. Number two, so that your kingdom and authority will be established. Lord, do this for your kingdom to be shown on earth, to bring more people under the authority of Christ. And then the third one is this, so that your will and purposes will be accomplished. Lord, answer this prayer so that your plan can go forward. So that your purposes for your people, for the gospel, for the world can be accomplished. If we can pray requests that line up with one of those three categories, then we know we're praying for things that God wants to answer. See, so switching to our request like this, it does two things for us. Number one, it checks my heart motivation. Because if I pray this, if I say, hey, God, please do this, so that, and then I can't fill in that blank, if I can't find some purpose of God that is fulfilled through this request, then it just showed me, hey, that prayer request is about me. It's not about the Lord. It's, not about, it's about me and my purposes, not his purposes so it checks my heart behind the request. And then number two, it changes my prayer focus off of me and onto his glory. And when you pray like this, when requests become centered in who God is and what he wants to do and what he has called us to, all of a sudden, whether he answers or not or however he responds, doesn't even matter. Because now you are walking in the will and the glory of God, and you get to experience that presence and that, that relationship with him as he answers in whatever way he sees fit. And it changes the way we pray. So first, we pray for God's glory, not just my list. And then number two, four principles for life-giving prayer. Now, this could be a little bit more of a teaching than a preaching. I know that. Just deal with me, okay? I think this is important. You need this. I needed this. Four principles for life-giving prayer. Number one, scripture-fed. We want to pray scripture-fed prayers, which means life-giving prayer starts with an open Bible. When I open my Bible and I read God's word first, it allows God to be the one who starts the conversation. I'm coming in thinking, I, I want to pray about this, I want to pray about that. I got my list of stuff, and God's saying, hold on, I, I, got, a, I got another thing I want to talk to you about. I, I got something that's more important than what you've got. Like, I've got something I want to address here. Like, let me start the conversation. And As I read God's word and I start to respond to his word in prayer, then he is leading me to what he wants me to pray about. It makes my prayers more God-focused than man-focused. It gives me vertical prayer. We talk about being a vertical church. right? This gives me vertical prayer as I allow God to be the one leading the conversation. Now, this is different than just tagging Scripture on to whatever prayer I'm praying. Okay? A lot of us have prayed Scripture throughout the years. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's not wrong to pray something and then, and then quote a Scripture or a promise of God that goes along with that prayer. not a bad thing. It's just different than what I'm talking about here. Because there, I'm still the one starting the conversation. Here, God is the one getting to, to lead because there's a danger when I'm just tagging Scripture onto whatever I want to pray, there's always a danger of misusing Scripture to pray something that it didn't mean when God wrote it. I'll give you an example. We just went through Matthew chapter 7, right? Where Jesus says, ask, and it will be given. And so this week I've got, like, God, I was reading in Matthew 7, thank you so much. You say, ask, and it will be given, so please, 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 please give me that winning lottery ticket for the billion dollars. I mean, just right now, Lord, just, just if you would put that in my possession. Now listen, that kind of prayer is using scripture out of context, first of all. And number two, I can almost guarantee you that's not the conversation God wanted to start when he wrote that verse. That, that was not on his mind, okay? Some are like, but Micah, if I win... I'll I'll tithe, I'll I'll give God, you know, his part. Like, it's not going to just be off me. Like, listen, God is not poor. Do you understand that? He doesn't need to be your beneficiary. He is the provider. It all comes from him. It all belongs to him. We need to be honest about the purposes of our prayers. Scripture-fed prayer starts with Scripture So that God can direct the conversation to his glory. Rather than me just trying to get God on my list and on my agenda. By using his word. So scripture fed is the first principle. Number two, spirit led. Scripture fed, spirit led. Spirit led comes from Romans 8, 26 or 28, which we actually touched on last week. but I want to dive into it a little bit more here. It says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness... For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So now notice here, the Spirit is the key player in these verses. And the Spirit is the one that's leading us out in prayer in three ways here. Number one. The Spirit helps us pray effectively. We talked about this last week. Paul's like, hey, you don't even know what to pray for. (laughs) Right? And so the Spirit helps us by leading us into effective prayer that God wants to answer. In fact, I would even go as far as to say this. It is impossible to pray effectively without the help of the Holy Spirit. We need Him. He is the one leading us. In life-giving prayer. Number two, it says the Spirit intercedes for us according to God's will. Right? Only the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. We don't know. We don't know God's mind. The Scripture says that his, his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We don't know the mind of God. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God, and so he intercedes for us and prays for us so that he lines us up with what God wants to do. So when we're praying in the Spirit, we are actually praying God's thoughts and God's purposes back to Him. And then, lastly, the Spirit leads us into God's purposes through prayer. He leads us into His purposes. The Holy Spirit is like our like our prayer tutor. He's like saying, All right, "No, no, no, this way over here. Just kind of course correct a little bit. Like this is where we're going, leading us to the right solutions, to the right answers." Let me say it this way. Praying spirit-led prayers means praying what is good for God, not just good for me. There's a difference, right? Praying what's good for God in his ways, his purposes, his kingdom, his glory, not just for me. One of the prayers that always like just kind of, it's never made sense to me, just kind of always throws me off, and I I know some of y'all have prayed this, so like just pull your toes in because I'm getting ready to step on them, but like this is Like, the praying for the sports team prayer. Right? Like, God, will you please if they would just win this game? Because when you're praying for your team, you're also praying against the other team. Do you get that? Like, you're like, God, please make them lose. That's basically what you're praying. Right? Like, and so you're only praying for your side. It's a very selfish prayer. Right? Sometimes we do that with other things, too. The, the way we pray, in reality, is I'm praying for my needs and my plans and my purposes. I'm praying for my team, but I'm also praying against God's team, his side, his plans, his purposes, because mine aren't lined up with his. Because I'm not praying in the Spirit. Spirit-led prayer lines us up on God's side, on his purposes so that when I pray, I'm praying in line with who he is and what he has for me. So scripture-fed, spirit-led, third principle is worship-based. Worship-based prayers. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, or to please him, sorry. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. So right here, the the author of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Nothing in life. You can do nothing in this life to please God without faith, which means prayers without faith, prayers that are not prayed in faith, do not please God. God is not looking for prayer out of mere duty or lip service or to earn some penance from him. Prayer is not a tool that we use to just pull the lever on the God machine and get what we want. Prayer without faith is not pleasing to God. He wants prayers that are worship-based that we're praying them because we believe in this God that we worship and we're giving our hearts and our lives to him and we're submitting to him in faith that he will do what only he can do. And he says it right here in in the scripture. He says, God rewards those who seek him. Not who seek ourselves. Who seek him, his glory. Not our agendas, not our desires, not our lists. God responds to those who worship him in faith and seek him rather than ourselves. And so the principle here for worship-based prayer, this is kind of the the sentence I put together for this. Actually, I didn't put together. I got it from somebody else, but I'm going to share it with you. Seek his face before you seek his hand. Again, it's not wrong to ask. He tells us to ask. But seek his face before you seek his hand. worship give faith to the one who can do what you can't do you know being in ministry oftentimes i have to travel for various trips like conferences or you know mission trips or whatever and so every time i travel i kind of got into a habit where i try to always bring back a little gift for each one of our, our daughters just to let them know, like, hey, I was thinking about you, I was gone, and you were on Daddy's mind, and I missed you, and so I try to bring something back for them. But when I got home from the trip, if I came in the door, and they came running up, and the first thing they said was, Dad, what did you get us? We'd have a problem, right? Because <laughs> that's, that's not the point. That's not what I want to hear. I want to hear, oh, Dad, we're so glad you're home. We love you. We missed you. We, you know, we, we, can't wait for you. we couldn't wait for you to get home. Like, It's it's about the relationship. The gift is just an outflow of the relationship. If the relationship isn't there, then I'm not satisfied with giving you the gift. God's the same way with us. He wants us to seek Him and to come to Him and run to Him in worship and in faith and relationship, and then He responds to the needs in our life. It starts with being worship based. Seek his face before you seek his hand. And then number four, the last one, it should be Christ shaped. Christ shaped. Now, this gets us to what I was alluding to at the beginning Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. So if you've got your Bible still there, Matthew chapter 6, this is the spot where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And it says in verse 9, he says this, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This exact same prayer teaching is also found in Luke chapter 11, where the disciples actually ask him, Hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And this is how he responds. I know you've heard this prayer before. Oftentimes it's called the Lord's Prayer because it's the, the Lord is the one who prayed it. I think a better name for it that sometimes people use is the model prayer because that's really Jesus' purpose here is he's giving his disciples a model that they can pray after. Because right here, notice he says, pray then like this. He doesn't say pray this. He's not giving them a script to just recite. He's giving them a pattern to follow, a model. Pray like this, he says. Other translations say, this is how you should pray, or pray in this way. Right? So he says, pray like this, which is, if you'll notice, is a command, not a suggestion, first of all. He's like, hey, if you feel like it, if, if it fits for you, if, it, you, know, if you feel good, with it, like here's maybe a, something you could try. And he's like, no, pray like this, like this. This is how you pray. Okay? And then second of all, again, he's giving them a pattern of prayer. He's not giving them a script. He's giving them a pattern, a model. Pray like this. And we can see that the model prayer here is actually divided, or can be divided into two similar but distinct patterns. Okay? One's more simple. One's a little bit more nuanced. I'm going to give you both this morning because they both can be helpful, and appropriate at different points in our prayer lives. So first we'll go with what I call the 2-2 two, two pattern, right? which just means that there's two parts. The first half of the, of, the, of the prayer is Godward. It's looking up, right? It's praying, and he's saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's looking up. The Godward side. It's this where we're, we're declaring to him in prayer that he is God. Worthy. It starts there. Looking at God, looking at his glory, declaring the worthiness of who he is. So it starts Godward, and then number two, we go manward, or I am needy. Right? And that's where you see the second half, right? He says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not to temptation. Deliver us from evil. Like, we have needs, God. We're needy people. And in looking at how worthy you are, we're going to bow down before you in prayer and we're going to lay these requests before you knowing that you are the one who can meet us in our need. Very simple. right? Godward, he is worthy. Man word, I am needy. Though if you, if you do just that consistently in your prayer life with that pattern, it'll make a huge difference in how you pray. But there's a 4-4 four, four pattern where we actually can divide this into four parts in a little bit more nuanced way, and that's where I want to dig in here this morning the most for the rest of our time. So if we take those verses and we break them down a little bit further, we're going to start with, and you have a little graphic there even on your notes, you can kind of help visualize this. The first one is upward. Very similar to what we just talked about. Upward, looking to God in reverence. And the upward prayer is all about praising God for who he is. Not even so much for what he's done, although sometimes that can fit, but it's more about who he is, his character, his attributes, that he is holy, that he is the God that that none of us are and no other gods can match. And it's giving reverence and worship to the one that we pray to. So we start upward looking at reverence, right? Um, Again, it starts off with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name is what that means. Right, you're giving praise and, and reverence to God. Number two, then we go downward. Right, in response to who God is. This is me now. Now that I've seen that he's worthy, now that I've given him reverence, I'm going to respond to that with something from my own heart, my own life. I'm going to submit to the God who is worthy. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? That, that's a submission prayer. like God, not my will, not my kingdom, not my way. Yours, your kingdom, God, your will. And a response is submitting to God. The question that's best to ask in this part of prayer is, how should I respond to who God is? Now that I've seen him, now that I've praised him, now that I've worshipped him, how should I respond to that? So upward in reverence, downward in response, and then number three, inward in requests. Now we get to verses 11 and 12. Right? Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts. Right? We're praying, we're asking, we're requesting, and we're trusting God to meet our needs and our desires according to his word. And he even divides inward prayer here, the request, into kind of two categories. Did you notice that? Like The first one is the resources. Like, Give us our daily bread. Give us the provision that we need to just get through the day. But then the second one is more about relationships. Right? Forgive us as we forgive others. Help, help me heal these broken relationships in my life, God. We all have them. And so we're praying, we're asking God, I need you, I need your help. Giving him our request for resources and relationships. And then lastly, after I've done inward requests, then I turn outward in readiness. Now it's about moving outside of myself, and praying for the things that God wants to do with my life. Preparing for God's mission. At the end of his prayer, Jesus says, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Send us out, God, on your mission with with spiritual readiness, prepared for the battle that's coming. Help us to stand. Help us to march. Help us to, to do what you've called us to do. And the best way to to prepare for readiness is as we pray is to meditate on and apply God's word as we prepare to follow him and so this is what we call what I call Christ-shaped prayer upward in reverence downward in response inward in request and then outward in readiness to follow him and if we will pray Christ-shaped prayer like that we will experience life-giving prayer and a life-giving pattern of prayer that we can reuse over and over and over again. Now, just in case you think that maybe I'm making more out of this than there is really in there, or maybe more than Jesus intended, I want, to show you, I want to show you a little case study here. You know, in all the book of Acts, in all the New Testament, we only have one passage that that is a a, a corporate prayer by the church like we have other passages where they're praying but it doesn't tell us what they're praying we have one passage where it actually spells out the prayer that the church prayed together as the body of christ that's in acts chapter 4. in acts chapter 4 peter and john have just gotten arrested and threatened and said hey you can't preach the gospel anymore shut up stop doing that and then they sent them out and they come back to the church and are like hey they just told us we can't preach the gospel anymore They're going to put us in jail. It's going to be bad. And it picks up here in chapter 4. And the church's immediate response to this persecution was to pray. To pray together. Look at their prayer here, verse 23. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They prayed and said, Sovereign Lord, Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. First of all, we see immediate evidence that God answered this prayer. So obviously, they were doing it right, (laughs) whatever they were doing, And in this prayer, we can actually see the same 4-4 pattern that we just walked through, that Jesus taught to his disciples. It starts with upward prayer. Reverence in verses 24 and 26. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth, and they're praising him for who he is. Then we get down to verses 27 and 28, and we see their response. Although they didn't like it, although they didn't understand it, they're like, hey, we submit to your plan that you sent your son to be rejected and to be killed and to be persecuted, just like we're being persecuted. And they're praying in submission to who God is and what he's planned for his church. And then verse 29, we see requests. They're asking for boldness. Lord, grant us boldness that we can go out and continue to speak the gospel in the face of persecution. And then verse 30, we get to readiness. They ask him to go out ahead of them. Go out with miracles. Go out with healings. Go out ahead of us and prepare the way so that we can take the gospel and people will respond. Jesus taught this pattern of prayer to his disciples. The early church practiced this pattern of prayer in their gatherings. So shouldn't we? I've been a follower of Jesus Christ since I was six years old. I've been a pastor for 13 plus years now. I've learned a lot about prayer through my faith journey. But learning to apply this pattern consistently to my prayer life over the last year, just this last year, has revitalized what it means for me to pray to the Lord. There's been such a life that has flowed out of this consistent pattern of prayer. I use it in my daily devotional time with God whatever passage I'm in. I use it with our staff and our elders at different meetings for us to pray collectively together. You might not know it, but we've even started using it with you. Your bookmarks that we gave you at the beginning of 40 Days of Prayer has four prayer prompts on it with these same categories. We're leading you to pray this pattern through Jeremiah 33, 2 and 3. If you've been to some of our previous deep nights, we've used this pattern to pray through Scripture. We're going to be using it again on November 18th. By the way, Friday night, November 18th, clear your calendar and get here with your church family and let's pray that God might give us new life as a church, as a people. The beautiful thing about, beautiful thing about this pattern is you can, you can lay it over any passage of Scripture. To pray scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based, Christ-shaped prayers. You can use it in your daily devotional time. You don't have to change what you're reading. Whatever you're reading, take that passage and you just pray these four prompts out of that passage, whatever it is. You can use it in your small groups. When you're reviewing the sermon from the previous Sunday, whatever the passage is from the sermon, pull it out and just pray through it in these prompts. See what God says to you. Let God start the conversation. You can... You can use it over some passage that he's used in your life. Some of you are like, man, God really used this passage in my life to just do a miraculous thing, and it means so much to me. Great. Pray through it with this pattern and see what else God wants to do. It works for any prayer occasion. And to help you start to learn it, to help you start to step into it, in your note sheet today, I actually provided you with four prayer guides, four different passages, four different types of Scripture from different parts of the Bible, just to give you some examples of like this is how you could use this pattern to pray through that scripture. And I would encourage you maybe this week, just take some time to read one of those passages and then use those prayer prompts and just pray through it. Do that for each one of the passages and just kind of take your time working through it and just see how God works in your heart and see how God maybe helps you grow in your understanding of prayer as a result of that. Life-giving prayer focuses more on the life-giver in prayer. That's really what it comes down to. That's what Jesus was teaching his disciples. That's what he was saying on the Sermon on the Mount. Like, it's, it's really about us getting our face on God and letting him work and move in prayer. His scripture, his spirit, his worship, his pattern. Prayer is about connecting us to God not just connecting God to our lists.